Hello, fantasy and fairy tale fans, and welcome to episode two of Brandy June's Goldspun. I'm Bridget, and this is CamCat Unwrapped. Previously on Goldspun, we discovered that Pell, the fairy who Nor rescued, possesses a dangerous magic that allows him to kill and transform things using blood. He gifted Nor with a spool of wool that he transformed into gold as thanks for rescuing him. Nor is planning to use that gold to convince villagers that she can turn straw into gold. Let's find out if her con works. Chapter 4 Straw into gold. Get the only source of mystical straw in the world. It will turn to gold after spinning it, I yelled to the crowd. All the gold you desire, I added, remembering Pell's words. We had set up our wagon in a small open area on the north side of the fair, making sure we were far from the Elixir family. It took little time for me to arrange the spinning wheel. Devon settled Stony, while Jacoby arranged the straw into a more presentable heap. Now I just needed to attract the crowd, which was slowly starting to gather, as I called out the miracle claims of the straw. Even this far out, the streets were busy with people. What are you going on about, girl? An old woman with wispy gray hair asked me. Her clothes were worn and threadbare, and there was a slight tremor to her hand when she pointed at me. I felt a stab of guilt, knowing that if I did my job, this woman would be wasting her coins on a hoax. But it's her or my family, I reminded myself sternly. I plastered on my most charming smile and beckoned to her. I bring extraordinary wares to the spring fair, Granny, I said slowly starting to reel her in. We have an enchanted lot of straw. It can be spun into pure gold. I paused, waiting for her response. I smiled as her curiosity piqued the interest of those around her, and more townspeople stepped in closer to hear our discussion. Straw into gold. I've never heard of such a thing, the old woman responded. What do you take me for, telling such tales? I answered loudly enough for anyone nearby to hear, while pretending to whisper, as though I was carefully confiding in just her. I take you for a wise woman who would certainly not buy something without proof. Though she was not yet persuaded, I could see she appreciated the compliment. I continued, This is no ordinary straw, it was blessed by an old druid who knew ancient earth secrets. It was collected in holy fields during a lunar eclipse and thus imbued with strange powers. You can do amazing things with it, but you must be strong of mind, able to completely concentrate on transforming the straw. The old woman eyed me warily. I took my cue and proceeded, slowly and confidently, to sit down at the spinning wheel. 
I made a big show of focusing on the wheel, as if willing it to obey me. If folks believed their concentration would transform the straw, then they would sit stupidly at their spinning wheels for long enough that we might depart sterling with their coins in our pockets. Brother, I finally said to Jacoby, my voice deep and serious, fetch me some straw. Jacoby, chosen for this role because people tended to trust small children, carefully handed me several stalks of straw, treating each one as a cherished treasure. Reverently, I set them up to the spinning wheel as though it were wool I was about to spin into yarn. I started a low chant, just a noise to distract the onlookers, and deftly let out some of the golden thread that I had been palming. I slowly let out more and more of the thread while palming part of the straw, not minding the scratchy feeling of it sliding up my arm inside my tunic. I carefully threaded the spindle of the spinning wheel, my foot keeping a steady pace on the pedal to keep the wheel spinning. Golden thread started to collect on the spindle. Soon, there were gasps and cries of surprise. I pretended to pay them no mind, appearing too focused on my chanting and spinning. I didn't stop until I felt the tail of golden thread slip through my fingers before it wound onto the spindle. By then, I had slid the rest of the straw stalk up my arm. I sat for a moment, as though the trance of concentration was hard to break. The murmurs of the crowd grew louder, the commotion building. I could have laughed, thinking about how gullible people were. Finally, I opened my eyes and stood up, my chanting over. Look, if you like, I told the crowd, gesturing to the golden thread. It sparkled in the morning light, enticing the onlookers. I gave a very slight nod to Devon, who quietly stepped closer to the spindle. We didn't want anyone trying to swipe it. Well, by the mother's maids, the old woman said, her milky eyes round with interest. You truly have made gold out of straw. I must warn you, I said, that it will only work for the pious. You must have perfect concentration, or the straw will not reveal its hidden treasure. It is not for the weak-willed. I imagined townsfolk trying to stare down straw on their spinning wheels and thinking the fault was theirs. How much? asked a young man. He was scrawny, but puffed up with overconfidence. I smiled inwardly, but kept a serious demeanor on my face and announced the price. It was outrageously high. Some people huffed and left at the idea of such a crazy sum, but many of them stayed. I reminded them that the price was far lower than the value it would have once it was transformed into gold, and I was only selling it because I didn't have the strength of mind to transform all of it. Immediately, townsfolk started clamoring to buy the straw, afraid they'd be left out. I picked up the spindle and played with the gold thread, making it glitter in the sunlight. Devon managed the transactions, trading straw for coins. I felt a thrill as our pile of straw diminished and our coin purse grew heavier. This had to be the most successful con we'd ever run. 
I didn't notice Finn pushing his way through the crowd, trying to signal to me from a distance. I should have been paying attention. If I had, I would have noticed the man riding up, flanked by an entourage of royal guards and nobles. His imposing steed parted the crowd, a sleek, midnight black horse. It was the same horse I'd seen the day before. Too late, I looked up, seeing the young nobleman from yesterday. But he was no longer a lost young man in the woods, an easy mark. Now he sat tall in a fine and very expensive riding outfit. Everything about him marked his wealth and power. He led guards and nobles, men and women in costly garments, all admiring him. Who was he? Then all the townsfolk began bowing, and it clicked into place. All hail Prince Casper, the future king, I heard the old woman call out reverentially. Soon, everyone was chanting that. I've stolen from the prince, I thought painfully. I quickly dropped into a deep curtsy, praying Prince Casper would not recognize me from the woods, as I hissed at Devon and Jacoby to bow. I couldn't see Finn anywhere, and desperately hoped he had managed to slip back into the crowd. I stared hard at my feet, willing the prince to continue on his way. And what do we have here? I looked up to see the prince had ridden right up to our wagon. The sun was behind him, making me squint to see. We are in serious trouble. I sent a quick prayer to Chase, the god of chaos, and Elosia, his sister and goddess of order, that Finn had had the good sense to get out of here. I asked you what your wares are, or didn't you hear me? The prince asked. His voice was stern, but not cruel. Nothing, your highness, I said, making my voice as meek and humble as I could. The tremor in it was real enough. Just a poor straw merchant. She's selling magic straw, the old woman said. I had to fight the impulse to lash out at the crone. Magic straw, you say? The prince dismounted with an ease that revealed his strength and strode over to me. I tried to keep my eyes averted, but he had such a commanding presence that I couldn't help but stare at him. I was reminded that Prince Casper was strikingly handsome, ruggedly so, with strong features and dark eyes. He held himself with a posture that was reserved for the overly confident and extremely wealthy. It's, well, you see, I said, fumbling for an explanation. It wasn't like me to lose focus like this, but I felt overwhelmed by his looming presence. It can turn into gold, someone in the crowd cried out. I turned, trying to see who had spoken, but couldn't identify the voice. Whatever slight chance I had to give some plausible excuse was gone. I was as good as dead. Is that so? Prince Casper asked, looking directly at me. He sounded amused, but the question was doused with a cold threat. I was pretty sure the prince did not appreciate swindlers in the capital. I prayed that he might not want to make all his subjects look like idiots for believing me. But then his eyes narrowed, taking me in, as recognition dawned in his black eyes. You, he hissed, the word an accusation. There was a 
misunderstanding, I started, desperate to come up with an explanation that wouldn't end with my arrest. Don't be so modest, girl, the old woman said with a kind smile. I wanted to smack her. She gestured at the spinning wheel. This girl was showing us how to do it. She'll make us all rich as kings. The nobles, a cloud of silks and velvets behind the prince, snickered, and the woman immediately realized her mistake. Pardon me, your highness, I meant no offense. She quickly dropped into a curtsy as deep as her old joints would allow. No offense taken, good woman, the prince said, and I noticed no threat in his voice when he spoke to her. We could all use some more gold, I am sure. He directed his gaze at my hand, and I suddenly felt the weight of his ring. He knew what I was, and the hatred in his eyes made me flinch. Then he looked back at the crowd, and his eyes softened. Our great kingdom could use an additional source of gold to supply us with the funds to protect ourselves from the Fae. At any moment, the Fae Queen Maricina could decide to invade, and where would that leave us? The Fae armies have dark magic on their side. His voice was deadly serious, and shocked cries rang out from the crowd. I thought about Pell. Not all the Fae were the monsters I had been led to believe they were, but I knew better than to argue with my sovereign. At this point, I was just hoping he wouldn't have me hauled off in chains. And that is why we need to have a strong army, Prince Casper continued. The Fey Kingdom of Magnamel is too close to our borders for us to ever let our guard down even for a moment. The murder of my brother is proof that we must always stay vigilant. I nodded along with everyone else in the crowd. Maybe the prince would get so distracted by preaching about the Fey, he'd ignore the reason he came over to my wagon. Yet, rebuilding our army has not been possible, not even after five years of peace. Our coffers were depleted in the Southern War. Think of how gold, spun of nothing but straw, would benefit the entire kingdom, how it could be used to fortify our military and give them a fighting chance against our enemies. My head shot up. Prince Casper was staring at me, a satisfied smile on his lips. He looked like a cat cornering a mouse. I would happily give you the rest of my straw, I finally choked out. Anything to help against the Fae. And while you are carting a wagon of ordinary straw back to your palace, we'll be getting far away from Sterling. Oh, I don't think so. His eyes lingered again on my hand. And you dropped this in the woods, I added quickly, starting to pull off the signet ring. I am so grateful to be able to return it, your highness. No, he said, his hand shooting out to stop me. I think you should keep it. His grip around my hand tightened as his smile broadened. Louder murmurs and gasps came from the crowd. Prince Casper, only royalty may wear the Famille de Rose ring. An older nobleman in yellow and black velvet had stepped towards the prince, putting a warning hand on his shoulder. Prince Casper removed the man's hand, but his smile never wavered. If anything, it grew sharper. 
Clearly, this young woman is an expert at conjuring gold. Not at all, I stammered, feeling the trap closing in. There was no getting out of this one. I quickly glanced around, desperately hoping not to see my brothers. It would be far better if they weren't here. Devin and Jacoby were still by the wagon. Damn, you should have seen it. It was a miracle, the old woman said enthusiastically. I tried not to cringe. You would be an asset against the Fae, Prince Casper said, looking smug. Certainly, you would want to do anything you could to aid your kingdom against the Fae. After all, with Renalis devoting so many of our resources to protect the Sterling border, we wouldn't want to be caught unaware. There is nothing I hate so much as my subjects being taken advantage of in a devious deception. Whether anyone in the crowd could tell if he was talking about me or the Fae, I could not surmise. But he and I both knew he saw through my deceptions. Chase's den, my lies are piling up around him. Do not fear, girl. If you do this one simple task for me, one you clearly do so well, he said, gesturing to my gold thread, then you can keep my ring. If I can spin gold, why would I need you to let me keep a gold ring? I spat out. I was too terrified to be polite and already as good as dead. Clever girl, the prince said, appraising me. But as Lord Arnett pointed out, only royalty may wear that ring, he said with a smile. What? I asked, sure I had misunderstood his implication. The crowd let out gasps of awe and shock. Prince Casper, you can't be serious, a young noblewoman in a blue and silver gown said, her voice lilting with an accent. She and the rest of the prince's retinue looked visibly disturbed by the idea. A room full of gold would aid our military efforts immensely. A fitting reward for such a dowry would be the realm itself, a woman able to protect our kingdom would deserve to be queen. Do this, ensure the safety of Renalis, and, he paused, piercing me with a look, I shall make you my queen. The crowd of townspeople erupted into cheers, thrilled at the notion. Prince Casper smiled and waved to the crowd, encouraging them on. His smile was brilliant, and the crowd was eating it up. When he looked back at me, his smile never faltered, but his eyes were steely. He was determined to make an example of me. He knew he'd never have to marry me because I couldn't spin gold, and this way he could impress the crowd. I hated to admit it, but it was a clever move. When the cheers and shouts of long live the prince and to our future king died down, Prince Casper jumped back up on his mount with little effort. He extended his hand to me, and it took me a moment to realize he wanted me to ride with him. That will seal the illusion, I thought. The royal guards closed in around us, making escape impossible. At best, maybe my brothers could get away if I didn't make a scene. I stepped toward Prince Casper, feeling defeated, but someone tugged at the hem of my tunic. I turned to see Jacoby looking up at me with wide, scared eyes. Are you leaving? He asked, 
his eyes bright with tears. I have to go, I told him, trying to make my voice gentle. But I don't want you to go, he cried, tears now running down his cheeks, leaving dirty smears on his face. Mama and Papa left, Rilla left, and they never came back. I pulled him into a tight hug, wishing I never had to let go. Don't cry, sweetie, I said, forcing my voice to stay level. I'll come back as soon as I can, I lied. I looked at Devin, standing a few feet away, looking more distraught than when our father left for the war. I'll go with you. No, you won't, I said, with a tone that brokered no compromise, even from an older brother. One of the prince's guards was already taking hold of Stony, ready to lead our donkey and his wagon of magical straw back to the palace. You'll get Jacoby out of here and protect our brothers. I needed Devin to understand there was no hope for me, but he could still protect the rest of our family. I rushed towards him, pressing the golden thread into his palm. Take care of them, I said, blinking hard at the tears that threatened to spill out. The prince's voice interrupted. We can invite your brothers to come with you. They'd be honored guests in at the palace. I turned to see the prince, smiling and looking perfectly like a benevolent ruler. In fact, it would be a good idea if they came with us. Absolutely not, I shot back. Seeing the look of shock on the faces of the prince's entourage, I quickly lied. My sister is quite ill. They need to go home and tend to her. Even Devon looked surprised that I would mention Rilla. Of course, said the prince, but I could tell he didn't believe me. But I didn't need him to believe me, so long as he let my brothers go. If you come along willingly, we can probably manage without your brothers. Again, I heard the threat in his voice. If I ran or tried to escape, he would go after my family. For all I knew, he'd send soldiers after my brothers to hunt them down. I heard Jacoby crying, but forced myself not to look back at him, lest I started crying too. Instead, I stepped toward Prince Casper, took his outstretched hand, and leapt into his saddle. The close proximity to the prince was terrifying, and I sat rigid. The velvet of his tunic pushed into my back, and in an oddly detached way, I noted he smelled of expensive soap. She's good with horses, too, the prince joked to the amusement of the crowd. Close to my ear, so only I could hear him, he added, When I expose you for being a fraud, I will make an example of you. I do not take kindly to thieves in my kingdom. With that, he turned his horse around and gave it a kick that spurred it back to the palace. Chapter Five My Prince Casper didn't say another word as we rode. I tried to formulate a plan, but nothing came to me. I was drowning in a sea of red and gold uniforms, surrounded on all sides with royal guards. Each one had a long sword that dwarfed my small dagger, which I remembered I didn't even have. Pell had never returned it. I was no match for a single guard, assuming I could even get off Prince Casper's horse. My only comfort 
was knowing my brothers had escaped. I prayed they had the sense to flee the city. The further we got from the main city, the more my panic rose. The bustle of the city was fading as we approached the area where the nobles lived. Vast manors spread out, luxuriously appointed homes with high, intricate wrought iron gates surrounding them. But even these impressive homes were dwarfed as the Rose Palace came into view, the sight turning my blood icy. I hadn't realized I was squirming until I felt Prince Casper grip my wrists, his hold iron tight. Taking a quick glance back at him, he didn't deign to look at me, keeping his cold black eyes focused on the palace. I stared ahead, watching as my beautiful doom came into view. I had assumed that Rose Palace was only a pretty name for the place, but I was wrong. An enormous rose garden opened before us, leading to a path that ran to the castle. Early spring roses in whites, pinks, oranges, and yellows, planted in intricate patterns, interlaced throughout the garden. The sweet perfume in the air was cloying in its intensity. I suddenly felt like I was in an ornate tomb. I'm going to be buried here. The palace was an imposing structure, comprised of towers, turrets, and domes. Reaching up from the ground were thousands of climbing roses, as though they were trying to envelop the palace and pull it into the ground. Blood-colored roses bloomed from within the vines, a splattering of red against the green and white. I was sure that in different circumstances, the palace would appear beautiful, but it reminded me of the blood on Garin when Pell had forced him to choke to death. Vile rose in my throat, almost gagging me. All too soon, I found myself at the entrance to the palace. Two immense doors loomed in front, built from a white wood with intricate rose carvings deeply etched into each. Prince Casper jumped off the horse and held out his hand, impatiently motioning for me to dismount. I considered taking the reins and trying to make a run for it. But we were surrounded by his entourage, and for every glittering noble, there were at least five royal guards. An attempted escape wouldn't last long. I jumped off the horse, avoiding any help from the prince. What now? I demanded, my mind already racing. There had to be a way out, if only I could find it. Around us, the guards and nobles were dismounting. The guards were mostly staying close to the prince, but many of the nobles headed directly into the palace. The young woman who had spoken to Prince Casper after he declared his intentions for me approached us. She did not look pleased. Prince Casper, you cannot seriously mean to do this, she said, in what I now recognized as a Glovnadian accent. Her chilly blue eyes raked over me as though I were a dead mouse the cat had dragged in. I stared defiantly back at her. I didn't want to give this stuck-up noble anything else to gloat about. She was pale, with snowy blonde hair and delicately defined features. Rumors were that the cold of that northern country of Glovnada made the people there frosty, and her cold demeanor certainly wasn't changing my mind. Lady Ilana, the prince said, turning on the charm. Of course I am serious about this. You would marry an ordinary commoner? 
I did not think such a thing was possible, even in Renalis. It almost pleased me to see her pale face flushing pink in anger. Any woman who could turn straw into gold is certainly not ordinary, he said with a smile. In response, Alana turned, storming into the palace. I deflated, reminded of the real danger I was facing. I guess some people just don't believe your magnificent claims, Prince Casper finally turned to me. And you are one of them. Ah, but I have to demonstrate you are a liar, he said, spitting out the last word. Only a tyrant dispenses justice before proving a subject guilty. I will not start off my reign as a tyrant. Come on. He linked his arm in mine, wincing as he did so. To onlookers, it would look as though he were kindly escorting me. He reached over and gripped my wrist with his other hand, and the vice-like grip was so tight, I started to lose feeling in my fingers. The inside of the Rose Palace was just as magnificent as the outside. Glittering white stone walls reached high up into golden domes. Shiny marble tile gleamed in the light. And there were roses everywhere. Every surface boasted huge bouquets of fresh-cut flowers, and the rose image infused everything. Magnificent tapestries of climbing rose vines adorned the walls. Rose-shaped black tile were inlaid among the white marble of the floor. There were paintings of roses, and arranged in porcelain vases were delicate spun glass roses, so fine I was sure they'd break if I touched one. Hurry up, the prince snapped at me. I had stopped, momentarily distracted by the splendor around me. His grip was still tight on my wrist, and I quickly resumed walking as he all but dragged me along. I've never seen anything like this, I said, unable to keep all the awe out of my voice. Yes, my great-great-grandmother had a thing for roses. We passed through a hallway of royal family portraits. I could see the resemblance to Prince Casper in the dark hair, black eyes, and strong faces of the past royals. Casper, what in the mother's name are you doing? Prince Casper skidded to a halt, almost causing me to fall over. I righted myself to see a young woman in a red gown, a few years older than Casper. She looked furious, her raven hair cascading in waves as she rushed toward us down the hall of portraits. Oh, sister darling, how delightful to see you. My expedition to the spring fair went well. I hope I find you in good spirits, Prince Casper said, releasing my arm for a moment to kiss his sister on the cheek. I rubbed at the place on my wrist he had held me, red marks forming where his hand had been. Don't, oh, sister darling me, brother, she snapped, pushing him away. Lady Ilana just came to me in tears, saying that you were about to marry some commoner you met in the town square, because she claims to be able to spin straw into gold. She looked at me for the first time, her eyes judging and finding me wanting. This girl, I assume from the look of her. Yes, sister, this is... Prince Casper paused. I don't think I ever got your name, he said to me. I stood in mute resistance. Tell me your name, 
he demanded. Eleonora, your highness. It wasn't worth the risk that he'd go after my family to punish me if I misbehaved, but I withheld my last name, not wanting to give him another lead to find my brothers. Eleonora, isn't that a fancy name? Princess Constance said, clearly surprised. It was a fancy name for a commoner, but my father had liked beautiful names and had chosen mine. Not that I would tell these royals that. When I didn't say anything more, she turned back to Casper. So, you are planning to wed a commoner whom you just met today and whose name you did not even bother to learn? What are you playing at, brother? You haven't even been home for a fortnight, and already you are making such messes. I thought getting lost alone in the woods was foolish, but now you are busy offending the nobles. You could have taken the throne, remember? Prince Casper countered, his voice daring her to argue. You still can, if you are willing to make certain sacrifices. King Jovian wants to know when we will be sending his niece home. I recalled that Princess Constance had abdicated the throne. I wondered why, what sacrifices Casper was referring to, and how any of it related to the Faradesian king. Do not bring Flora into this, Princess Constance almost yelled at her brother. You can't possibly believe this girl actually makes gold. Why are you doing this? I had a fleeting hope the princess would talk her brother out of his crazy charade. There was a crowd of townspeople who all claimed they had seen her do it. They were quite adamant about it. Princess Constance just stared. I felt my face growing hot. I hated being talked about as though I weren't right there in the room with them. It was really a misunderstanding, I said, making my voice meek. If I could get the princess to see reason, perhaps she could convince Prince Casper to let me leave. I did not mean to cause problems. Please, I promise you'll never hear from me again if I could just leave. I was not talking to you, Princess Constance snapped, the commanding sharpness causing me to shut my mouth. She turned her attention back to the prince. Commoners are easily fooled. I'm surprised you were taken in. I don't believe it, Prince Casper said defensively. The corners of his mouth raised in the smallest of smirks. That scared me more than all the yelling. At least you haven't lost every bit of your sense, Constance said, sounding only slightly mollified. Then why go through this farce of an engagement? Because that is how I get my subjects to believe me. They saw her turn straw into gold with their own eyes. I have to prove she's nothing more than a fraud. Otherwise, they'll make a martyr out of her. You are trying to be too clever. Christopher would never have been so devious. I realized they were speaking of their brother, the late king. His death was the reason Casper was taking the throne. It was just my luck that of the two siblings, our future monarch was into such a public demonstration of justice. My odds might have been better with Constance, if only because she saw me as so far beneath her as to be insignificant. Not devious, only practical. I know you want to prove yourself a worthy king, but the nobles will see right through this pantomime of justice. 
she reached out to touch her brother's hand, but he yanked it away. She visibly stiffened. No one in court cares about some nobody criminal, and you are going to make a fool of yourself for dragging her here just to lock her in a room filled with straw. Then it's a good thing I don't need your approval for how I decide to rule, he shot back at his sister. In fact, she won't be faceless to them. Casper lit up with an idea. She will be my honored guest at the feast tonight. I'll have her sit at our table. Um, what? I choked out, sure I misheard. Really, that is not necessary. But neither of the royal siblings were paying any attention to me. Princess Constance let out a snort of disgust. Christopher would never have done something so ludicrous. Without another word, she turned on her heel and marched off. Prince Casper watched her go long after she turned a corner. Turning to me, he wrinkled his nose. You smell horrid. His comment about my smell stung, even though I knew it was true. Hot baths were not readily available in the woods, and it had been too cold to bathe in the streams. Still, I thought about how he smelled so clean, and suddenly felt a flush of embarrassment, despite hating him and not caring what he thought of me. I tried to pay attention to the grand rooms and hallways we hurried down, mentally drawing a map of how to exit the palace the moment I found a chance to escape. But there were too many hallways and corridors, and I soon lost track of direction as Prince Casper towed me along. Finally, he led me into a large parlor room filled with velvet red chairs and a crackling fire in a massive stone fireplace. He let go of my arm and went to one corner of the room and pulled a thick rope, which I assumed was connected to a bell in the servants' quarters. Sit, he commanded. I didn't have the energy to argue, so I collapsed into one of the rich chairs. It was a relief to stop being herded around by my arm. I rubbed feeling back into my wrist and hand, avoiding eye contact, mostly staring at the thick rug on the floor, which, naturally, was embroidered with roses. After a few minutes, a servant dressed in the deep red livery of the palace entered the room. He was shorter than Casper and looked to be about 40, bald, and sporting a fine mustache, carefully groomed. Your Highness has returned, he smiled, bowing deeply to the prince. And you have a guest, he added. His eyebrows raised in surprise for a moment before he schooled his features back into that of polite attentiveness. Yes, Jock, that is why I rang for you. This young woman, Eleonora, will be joining me for the feast tonight as my personal guest. She needs to be cleaned up and provided with more appropriate attire for the evening. Can you have those arrangements made? Certainly, your highness, Jock responded, as though clothing strange girls was a normal request. Maybe it was. Once you deal with her, have hot water brought to my rooms for a bath and lay out my clothes. Probably the most regal and uncomfortable ones you can find. I cannot be late to the celebrations. Certainly, your highness, Jock replied with another bow. And one more thing, added Casper. Assign a guard to her. 
one who won't let her out of his sight. For her safety, of course. So I don't try to escape. As you command, your highness. Milady, come with me, if you please. I stood, about to follow Jock into a new form of torture, when Casper leaned over to me. Be very good, he said. Anger bubbled up in me. And if I decided not to go along with your act? Then I instruct every guard at my disposal to find your family. There were a lot of witnesses that can identify at least two of your brothers. And I have no doubt that with the right resources, we can find out if you truly have a sick sister. Cold chills prickled my spine. I nodded, afraid to say anything. And then, with dread, stepped out the door to where Jock was patiently waiting for me. Chapter Six Jock led me through a labyrinth of hallways and staircases. I was completely disoriented, but if I were lucky, he'd lead me to a guest room with a window large enough to climb out. This is one of the few guest rooms I knew would be available and unoccupied at the moment, Jock said as he opened the door. It's enormous, I gasped, taking in my surroundings. I couldn't believe that such an immense space simply existed as a spare room. It was such a waste. It's actually one of the smallest rooms, Jock said, giving me a wink. Small? I asked. The main parlor was almost as wide as my family's old house. I stepped into an elegantly decorated room with pale blue walls and white scrolling accents that reminded me of frosting. The chairs and small end tables matched, upholstered in a fine blue cloth and engraved with the same accents. Perhaps a bit more space than you are used to? I couldn't read his tone, unsure if he was trying to be friendly or mocking me. I will send up a maid to start the fire, he said, gesturing to the fireplace in the center of the room. And she can bring up the water for your bath and clothes. Unlike the prince, he didn't betray the slightest disdain at my appearance. Thank you, I said, not sure what else to say. I would never presume to ask you where you are from, but if Prince Casper has taken a shine to you, then you must be special. Jock gave me another wink, as though I were in on a friendly secret. It made my heart sink. And I will send a guard up here shortly, he added. The cold fear rose in me. One night in luxury so I could be humiliated and probably executed. I have to come up with a plan, I thought desperately. Jock left without another word. I explored my temporary prison, wandering around the rooms, hoping to find something that would trigger an idea. The parlor was only the beginning. A door to the left led into an immense bedroom, also decorated in blue and white. There was a canopy bed in white aspen wood with pillars that reached the ceiling and thick, soft blue blankets covered the mattress. Another fireplace, this one almost as tall as I was, was situated on the far wall. There was another door that led into a smaller bathing room with a porcelain claw-footed tub and a delicate vanity 
with a curved silver mirror and matching stool. I jealously marveled at what life must be like for those rich enough to consider such rooms small. In the bedroom, I paced around, looking for any inspiration to aid an escape. By the fireplace was an iron poker, but I doubted that would help me much against a legion of royal guards. There was one large window, elegantly framed in white lace. Perfect. Except one look out the window showed I was several floors above the ground. A fall from this height would probably kill me, or at least break my leg. From this vantage point, I could see the vast layout of the rose gardens. It would have been a breathtaking sight, but I could only think about how this place was merely my decorated prison. Milady? I heard someone asking from the parlor. A maid, a few years younger than me, was carrying a large bucket of steaming water. Her auburn hair was pulled into a tight braid, and freckles dotted her face and hands. She was a tiny thing, struggling under the weight of the bucket. Let me help you with that, I offered, stepping toward her. She immediately shrank back, almost sloshing water over the side of the bucket. No, milady, that wouldn't be proper. All right, then, I said, raising my hands in surrender and backing up. I'll just stand over here being proper or something. I felt useless as she carried the heavy bucket into the bathing room, and I heard water pouring into the tub. I'll be back with more water, she said, hurrying out the door. A few minutes later, there was another knock. I opened the door, expecting to see the young maid. Instead, a massive royal guard stood in the doorway. He was a good head taller than me and appeared to be made out of tree trunks. Lady Eleonora? His voice was surprisingly soft. I'm no lady, I said, but he did not look amused. Please, just call me Nor. Nor? Um, yes, that's my name. I am Sir Giannis. Jock assigned me to watch you while you are a guest at the Rose Palace. He sounded sincere, and I wondered if he realized I was more a prisoner than a guest. Well, thank you, I said awkwardly. I'll let you know if I need any, um, protection. You seem new to this, Giannis said, but with warmth in his voice. And what gave it away? You don't seem very comfortable with my presence, if you don't mind my saying so. And your attire is unusual for a guest of the palace. Right, I said, looking down at my travel-worn clothes. And I saw you at the festival, he added, looking a bit sheepish. Oh, he probably knew that I was here to perform miracles. Can you really do it? He asked. His brown eyes were bright with curiosity. He reminded me of Finn, not so much in looks, as Finn was a slight slip of a boy, while this young man was massive and all muscle. But he had that same eagerness for knowledge. I certainly hope so, I said, else I fear things will go rather poorly for me. Don't worry. I heard old Granny Marion say you could do it, and if she believes in you, I'm certain you can. Granny Marion must have been the old woman from the fair. 
Of course she believed me. It's easy to believe miracles if you see them. And let me just say it is an honor to guard you. That much gold will save our kingdom from the evils of the Fae. It will rebuild our army to the strength we had before the Southern War. I nodded, trying to look convinced. We hadn't been strong enough in the Southern War when my father, a miller by trade, had been conscripted. We hadn't been strong enough as a nation to protect him from death at the hands of a Faradesian soldier. They seemed more monstrous than the Fae, at least compared to the only Fae I had ever met. I recalled Pell's fingers on my leg, cool and gentle, as he healed my wound. I slipped my fingers up my sleeve, feeling the gold thread still wrapped around my wrist. Too bad this one bracelet of gold wouldn't be enough to buy my freedom, if I could even figure out how to take it off. Wait, would it? Pell's instructions about calling on him to redeem the debt he owed me came back in a rush. It was a long shot that he could help, but I was grasping at straws at this point. Terrible pun. But remembering his words about using blood to summon him made me shudder. More likely, it was only another one of his dark fade jests. Lady Eleonora? Yanis asked, concern in his voice. I blinked at him. Sorry, I was distracted. This is all so new to me, I added, trying to make my face a mask of young innocence. Of course, milady. I grew up on farmland myself, came here to join the royal guard for a more exciting city life. A farm boy, I thought. That might be useful. If he was from some poor village, perhaps he had plenty of mouths to feed back home, and I could bribe my way out. Pell's bracelet might hold fast, but I still had Casper's ring. That sounds like quite the change, I agreed, preparing to broach the subject. I twirled the signet ring around my finger. Indeed it was, Giannis nodded enthusiastically. But I'd say the biggest change was waiting on others, not having servants wait on me. Giannis misread my dismay as he was quick to add, not that I mind, milady. It is a great honor and privilege to serve at the Rose Palace. Servants? I asked weakly. But you said you grew up on a farm. Giannis laughed. Sorry, milady. I did not mean to cause confusion. My father owns land to the west of Lotanus. He has 300 acres and all converted into farmland during my grandfather's time. Did you know that sweet corn and figs do especially well there? Giannis grinned with pride. My family is particularly known in those parts for our fig jam. Fig jam? Indeed. The recipe is a family secret. I'll have to write to my brother back home to send some jam here for you to try. You are too kind. I swallowed hard. But... You decided to come to Sterling for a position as a royal guard? I cannot imagine the pay here is better than the profit of 300 acres of fig jam. Giannis straightened, looking almost offended. I did not come here to seek riches, milady. I truly do consider it the highest honor to serve king and country. The utter sincerity of his words convinced me 
that this was not a man to be bribed. Why I had to be guarded by such an honorable man was a shame. I stopped twirling the ring, its weight feeling heavy on my finger. You seem to be doing an admirable job, Giannis beamed. The palace can be a bit overwhelming at first, but you'll learn your way around. Oh, I don't think I'll be staying here long, I blurted out. I'll either escape or meet the end of a hangman's noose, I thought. Won't you? Prince Casper said he's to marry you after you turn the straw into gold. Giannis looked so genuine, I almost laughed. Right, I forgot. It's been a long day. Giannis looked unsettled, but I was saved by the maid coming back at that moment. She had another bucket of hot water with her, and she was struggling even more to carry it. Can you help her with that? I asked. It seemed ridiculous that an ox of a man should stand by when a slip of a girl was lugging heavy buckets. Really? I'm fine, the girl pleaded, but looked relieved when Giannis took the bucket without asking and easily carried it to the bath. He seemed uncomfortable in the intimate bathing room and exited as quickly as he could. I'll be right outside if you need me. Please let me know if I can do anything to assist you. The look in Giannis's open, honest face was so earnest, I was about to ask him to send word to my brothers. Maybe I could give him a sealed letter to tell my brothers to flee the city while they still could. Actually, yes, milady. Giannis stood tall to attention, making him look once again the guard that he was, the royal guard, no less. Sorry, nothing. It would have been beyond foolish to ask him, maybe even a death sentence. I had to watch myself. Very well, milady. I'll escort you to the prince's chambers at half past six. Giannis hurried out. I think one more bucket should do it, milady, the girl said, and I turned back to look at her. She looked so tired. This is fine. Plenty of water to wash up in, I told her. The tub was far from full, but there was enough water that I could easily clean up. If you're certain, the girl said uneasily. Yes, I am. Then I shall help you wash. Oh, no, you won't, I snapped, regretting it instantly when she cowered. I mean, I don't need any help washing up, I said, trying to make my voice gentle. But really, were nobles so pampered they needed help bathing themselves? No one but my family had seen me naked, and I didn't feel like changing that now. Why don't you find whatever I'm supposed to wear tonight? I asked, hoping to distract her. If you insist, she said, dipping into a quick curtsy before scurrying out of the room. Climbing into the massive tub, I appreciated the hot water despite myself. It was a luxury I was rarely afforded, though I scrubbed myself quickly, afraid the maid would come back and try to help. I was just drying off when she returned. Milady, I have your dress. Her timid voice came from the bedroom. Thank you. Just set it down and I'll put it on. I pulled on a dressing gown, the fabric finer than anything I had ever owned. I almost wished I could wear it to dinner. But 
don't you want help to do your laces and buttons? I think I can manage to get dressed by myself, I muttered, striding into the bedroom. But I stopped when I saw the array of items on the bed. It wasn't just a dress. It wasn't even close to just a dress. Instead, there was a frothy lilac gown placed next to a stack of petticoats, a corset, stockings, and dainty satin shoes that I was sure I would not be able to walk in. I surveyed the pile, feeling a rising horror. I don't really need to wear all of that, do I? I tried to keep desperation out of my voice. The maid was clearly too scared to contradict me, but also wouldn't say no, so she just stood there, mute, her large puppy dog eyes looking worried. I sighed, defeated. I guess I do need your help, the girl visibly relaxed. But I should at least know your name if you're going to help me dress. I'm Annabeth, milady, she said with a curtsy. Don't call me lady. I'm Nor, just Nor. And I think you can tell that I've never worn something so elaborate, I said, gesturing to the room and the pile of clothes on the bed. Annabeth smiled for the first time. It was a small smile, but genuine, and it lit up her tiny face. I did get the feeling you were a bit different from most of the ladies here. It would be my pleasure, Lady Nor, to serve you. I'll have you looking like a princess. The mention of a princess reminded me of Prince Casper's challenge, one I was sure to fail, and I felt a stab of anxiety but I reminded myself that I had spent the last six years surviving. This was simply one more obstacle. I simply had to find an escape. I let out a deep breath. Then, let's get started. I had never worn anything so uncomfortable. The soft linen shift and creamy silk stockings had felt fine on my skin, but then, I was weighed down by layers of petticoat skirts and squeezed into a corset with stays so tight I thought I might pass out. When I objected, Annabeth insisted that it be this tight or the dress wouldn't fit. I wanted to argue that she should just get me a bigger dress, but I couldn't spare the breath. And almost as bad as my inability to breathe was the way the corset pushed up my breasts, forcing them almost to my chin. I wanted to push them back down, but the corset had not the slightest ounce of give. Once the gown was draped over my head, Annabeth began working on a long string of tiny pearl buttons down the back. She had been right. I would have never gotten myself into this dress on my own. Why did nobility feel the need to wear clothes they couldn't even put on without assistance? Almost done, Lady Nor. Just Nor. I'm no lady, I wheezed. It wouldn't be right for me to address you so informally, Lady Nor, Annabeth said, helping me into the satin slippers. I didn't dare tell her Nor was actually my nickname. Fine, I relented as she laced up the slippers. They were delicate shoes, embroidered with lace and pearls. Completely impractical, I thought. Though their heels were short, they were taller than the boots I was used to wearing. 
it took me a few practice steps before I could walk without leaning against the wall. Am I done? I asked, unable to keep a whine out of my voice. I felt ridiculous. Almost. Please have a seat and I'll do your hair. What do you have to do to my hair? Can't I just comb it? I should put it up, Lady Nor. There isn't much time before Jock will be back for you. It wouldn't do for you to go with your hair like that. My hair had mostly dried from the bath, but looked like a pile of unkempt straw. And I really didn't want to think about straw right now. You sure get pushy with this stuff, I grumbled. Immediately, Annabeth recoiled, the look of fear back in her eyes. Any of the confidence she had when dressing me was gone. I didn't mean to offend you, milady, she said meekly. No, you didn't offend me, I said, softening my voice. I've just never needed help getting dressed. It makes me self-conscious. But that's not your fault. Please, do my hair. At least I can pretend to look presentable. Annabeth began to gently comb out the knots in my hair. It was actually soothing and reminded me of how Rilla, my older sister, would comb my hair and sing to me when I was younger. I felt a pain in my chest and forced away the memories. Annabeth hummed while she worked, something I didn't think she realized she was doing. After a while, she began pinning up my hair into a simple but elegant knot. I'm done, milady, Annabeth said. I was surprised my hair had taken far less time than getting me dressed. Annabeth must have misunderstood my shock, as she was quick to add, It's nothing fancy, I'm afraid. I didn't have much time, but it should suffice. She gestured to a full-length silver mirror on the other side of the bedroom. Warily, I extricated myself from my seat, careful not to trip in the slippers. I managed to make it to the mirror with a minimum amount of wobbling. Mentally bracing myself, I looked at my reflection. The sight made me want to scream. Chapter 7 I'm a cupcake. Is that a good thing? Annabeth asked cautiously. Would you want to be a cupcake? I snapped. I was covered in frothy purple frills and cream-colored lace. I looked ridiculous. Maybe a tasty one? Annabeth ventured. The skirts were so big and round from the layers of petticoats that I might have been sitting on a ball of lilac satin. The fabric was gathered in a nauseating number of shiny silk bows. Worse still was the way the neckline dipped far lower than I would have liked, displaying too much of my pushed-up cleavage. I felt like a dressed-up sausage. I might be going to my demise this evening, but even I had standards. Get me out of this, I demanded, awkwardly clawing at the buttons securing the lace collar at the back of my neck. I failed miserably. Despite the copious amounts of fabric on the sleeves, they were surprisingly tight, I could only flap my arms uselessly. I imagined this was what the world's fanciest chicken would look like. Lady Nor, please stop, Annabeth cried, reaching for my arms. You'll tear the lace. That's the point, 
I snarled. I refuse to look like some rich brat's nursery doll. But this was the only gown available on such short notice, Annabeth pleaded, still attempting to stop my destruction. Then I'll go in my trousers. By Chase's den, I'd rather go naked than wear something like this. Is that so? Annabeth and I both whipped around at the sound of a male voice. Prince Casper was standing in the doorway, looking immeasurably smug. His dark eyes sparkled with unspoken mirth. He looked handsome, which made me even angrier. He had changed and washed, and now appeared every bit the prince of folktales in his red and gold uniform. A thin gold band circled his brow, and it shone in the lamplight. I felt even more humiliated in my outlandish outfit. Your Highness, Annabeth said, as she immediately dropped into a curtsy. Do you always just barge into women's rooms? I demanded, curtsy be damned. I wanted to make sure you would be ready and not getting into trouble. Prince Casper looked mildly surprised to be so affronted, but recovered quickly. Besides, this isn't your room, and I heard yelling. I'm certain you did. I am being attacked by the world's ugliest dress. I swatted at one of the cursed bows. I believe it's trying to devour me. I think you look charming, Casper said, clearly amused. I could tell he was trying to keep from smiling. And I think you have terrible taste. I balled my fists by my side, but reminded myself there were terrible consequences for smacking a prince. Come, it's time for my feast, he said, offering his arm. You have got to be kidding me. I'm not parading around in this. I don't kid. The amusement from Casper's voice vanished, and I sensed the steel underneath it. My stomach turned in fear as I remembered I was speaking with the person who could have me executed any time he wished. Can I please just wear my clothes? I promise I won't look any more foolish than I do now. And I'd be less likely to trip wearing my boots, I thought. Those rags you were wearing? They were filthy, and they stank. We've had them burned. I looked around. In the distraction of getting dressed, I hadn't looked for my old clothes. I didn't see them in the room. I turned to look at Annabeth, who blushed and cowered under my glare. They were very dirty, milady, she said in way of apology. I sighed, defeated. I'm going to tread on your feet all the way there, I warned the prince. I managed a few steps toward Casper before tripping on my own skirts, tangling one of the slippers in the petticoats. My heel twisted, and I went flying forward. I threw out my arms, sure I'd hit the floor. Instead, Casper moved with unexpected speed, catching me before I hit the ground. His arms were strong as he held me up. I felt an unexpected thrill before coming to my senses. I stood careful not to fall over again, and quickly disentangled myself from the prince. My traitorous pulse took a moment to slow. Thinking about how much cleavage this dress displayed, I felt heat rise in my cheeks. I looked at Casper, and he looked a bit surprised, too. Thank you. Yes, well, be careful, he said. 
Did he sound flustered? Your crown, I said. In the rush of movement, the gold circlet on his head had shifted slightly and sat askew on his forehead. I moved to adjust it before snapping my hands back to my sides. I'm not used to wearing this yet, he admitted. He adjusted the circlet till it sat upright on his brow, the gold contrasting with his dark hair. It's heavier than it looks, made of pure gold. It used to give me headaches. Gold. I remembered with a sinking feeling. Suddenly, I no longer felt flushed or even embarrassed. I only felt dread. Guess you'll be getting a lot more gold, I deadpanned. At my declaration, Casper became serious, and for just a moment, I missed the person he'd been when he entered, smug, but more of an amused boy than my future judge and executioner. Right he said coldly, and stiffly offered his arm. He recoiled a bit when I took it, and I wondered if he was thinking of how he despised me for deceiving his subjects and stealing from him. I was a fool to think even for a moment that he was anything except an enemy. Had my brother's safety not been at stake, I might have refused to move and simply allowed his guards to lock me in the dungeon or wherever they planned to keep me after tonight. Instead, I followed him out of the room and braced to meet my fate. Giannis and two other guards, whom I could only assume were Casper's own personal guards, fell in place behind us, walking silently, watching our every move. Giannis had a better game face than I did, as he didn't even crack a smile when he saw my new attire. Casper strode through a labyrinth of hallways and staircases, I struggled to keep up, careful to keep my balance in the dangerous slippers. The two small shoes bit into my toes with every step I took. Casper stopped before a pair of massive oak doors. He stood for a moment, looking tall and regal, every bit the king he would soon be, as he waited for the guards stationed on either side of the doors to open them. The room beyond took my breath away, it was an immense dining hall filled with rows of long, elegant tables and ornately carved chairs. Seated in each chair was a richly dressed lord or lady, more nobility than I had ever seen in one place. It was a sea of fine silks, velvets, and lace, all in stunningly bright house colors. Beads and jewels glittered from the light of the many crystal chandeliers that hung from the high ceiling. Royal guards in Renalis red and gold uniforms stood silently at attention along the long walls, surveying the guests. Massive tapestries of climbing roses and vicious victories from ancient battle hung on the walls. In between the tapestries were wrought iron windows with panes of thick glass. At the far end of the room was a raised table larger than the others. Behind it, was an immense stained glass window depicting one huge rose, illuminated panes of gold, yellow, and crimson glowing in the evening light. Suddenly faced by so many nobles and guards, my stomach dropped. These were people I had tried to avoid all my life, people who carelessly dictated the lives of poor and insignificant folk like me and my family. With the arrival of Prince Casper, 
all heads turned to look at us. A herald seemingly jumped out of nowhere and announced the prince's presence. Chairs scraped along the floor as everyone stood before dropping in bows and curtsies in the presence of their future king. Terror gripped me as my feet turned to stone. Casper moved to take a step forward, but I couldn't get my legs to work. Come on, he hissed. His voice was sharp, but he never lost the smile he showed to the crowd. I can't, I whispered, hating the fear in my voice. Nonsense, it's just dinner. I don't think I can, I repeated, still unable to move. You have to do this. Think of your family. There was a pressure in his voice that was equal parts urgency and threat. I closed my eyes and allowed myself a long breath. I thought of my brothers, of responsible Devin, bookish Finn, and wide-eyed Jacoby. I couldn't give Casper any excuse to go after them. I opened my eyes and steeled myself. Who were these people to frighten me? What could they do to me that Casper wasn't already planning to do after I failed to transform straw into gold? Why should I care what they thought of me? With that, I managed to take a step. I felt Casper breathe a sigh of relief. All eyes were on us as we slowly crossed the immense room toward the raised table at the back. I could hear murmurs in the crowd. No one else was wearing anything with quite as many bows or skirts quite as puffy, I noted with irritation. After what felt like forever, we reached the royal table. Princess Constance was seated to the chair left of center, looking radiant and angry as we approached. Next to her was a beautiful Faradisia woman with dark skin and black hair braided in a complicated arrangement. Her soft curves were wrapped in a gown of deep sunset orange embroidered in white. I was surprised to see a Faradisian at the court at all, much less at the table of the royal family. After the Southern War, I assumed they would have stayed far from Renalis royalty. But Casper had mentioned something to Constance about King Jovian's niece. Casper smiled at his sister, ignoring her scowl as he climbed the steps to the table. I followed along, taking extra care not to trip. Servants stationed behind the table rushed to pull out chairs for Casper and myself. Casper remained standing and in a booming voice addressed the crowds. Lords and ladies, nobles and knights, and guards of the royal court, I am pleased to see you all in attendance of the spring feast. It has been five years since I have attended the festivities, and I am grateful to be home. While we will never stop mourning my brother, our great King Christopher, I swear by the crown that I shall do everything in my powers to be a wise and just ruler, as Christopher would have wished. Though tradition dictates that my coronation take place on the longest day, I am not waiting till midsummer to begin my service to this great kingdom. Already I am at work to fortify Renalis against some of our greatest threats. The Fae who murdered my brother will never set foot on our soil without the fear of death. A loud cheer went up, and Casper smiled, looking triumphant, 
and perhaps a bit relieved. He sat, practically pulling me into the seat beside him, and the entourage of nobility returned to their seats. Servants poured into the hall, filling wine glasses and bringing out platters of food. Not a terrible speech, brother, but a touch over the top. I'm doing the best I can, sister, Casper said tightly. Would you prefer to take my place? You're doing fine, Constance replied, her voice softer. But then she looked over at me, and her eyes grew cold. Though I maintain that parading this criminal around like your honored guest is unnecessary and unwise. I don't know what you're talking about. The lady is my betrothed as of this afternoon. Please stop, I said, my voice quiet. Are you trying to cause a scandal? Constance asked her brother, ignoring me. Are you? He asked, looking pointedly at the lady sitting next to Constance, the beautiful Faradisian woman. She looked at Casper, and I saw hurt in her doe-like brown eyes. Casper! Constance hissed. Immediately, regret filled Casper's face. I'm sorry, Lady Flora, he said. For the first time this evening, he sounded truly sincere. I was right. This lady was the Faradisian king's niece. No apology needed, your highness, Lady Flora replied. Her voice was soft and musical. I shouldn't have spoken like that. My sister was just needling me. She can be quite the nuisance, Lady Flora said, smiling fondly at Constance. Flora, Constance exclaimed, but she was smiling. Well, I think you're worth the trouble, Lady Flora replied warmly, and gently placed her hand on Constance's. Then maybe my sister can explain to King Jovian why his beloved niece refuses to return home. He has done well enough without me for five years. He can do well enough a while longer, Flora said. And though her tone was light, I noticed she squeezed Constance's hand. Despite myself, I wanted to know what was not being said. But their conversation was put on hold by the arrival of the food. I had been so anxious crossing the great hall, I was sure I wouldn't be able to eat a bite. But the aroma of the baked cod with lemon, tiny broiled potatoes with salt, steaming broth soup, and fresh bread immediately took my attention away from the royal siblings. My stomach growled, and I remembered I had not eaten since this morning, and that had been only a thin gruel. I also knew I needed to keep up my strength for tonight. I would find a way out of the mess I was in, even if I had to scale the walls of the palace to do so. And it was easier to have a clear head with a full stomach. Famished, I ripped off some of the bread. Its golden crust opened to reveal soft white bread inside, far finer than the heavy grainy bread I was used to. It reminded me of bread we used to eat when I was small, and my father still ran the mill. Unable to resist, I held it to my nose and breathed in the warm, yeasty scent before I dunked it into the broth and greedily gobbled it down, licking crumbs off my fingers. 
Then I noticed everyone at the table was staring at me. Flora looked concerned, Casper amused, and Constance disgusted. You couldn't have found a thief with some table manners? I was suddenly angry, having these nobles judge me on how I ate, considering it was their wars and their taxes that made it so my family was lucky to ever have enough to eat. I shoved a huge bite of fish into my mouth to avoid making a rude remark. You might want to slow down, Flora said. But unlike Constance, there was kindness in her words. This is only the first course. I swallowed the rest of the fish, nearly choking. There's more? I asked, genuinely astonished. The food on our table alone was more than enough for several meals. Of course, Flora said. This is just to start the feast. I haven't seen this much food since before the rationing. We haven't enforced rations since the Southern War, Constance said. I couldn't tell if she was confused or righteous. I didn't want to tell her that not enforcing rations meant nothing to our family, since the war left us too poor to buy anything, or that our family business, running a small mill in the southern city of Venlin, was destroyed during the war, and we had no money to fix it, or that the war took both my parents and my older sister soon after, so we were a bunch of orphans doing the best we could to survive. These royals didn't deserve to know my life. Instead, I simply said, not all of us emerged from the war this fortunate. I gestured to the spread of food on the table. The three of them sat, stunned at my statement. When a servant with wine came to our table, I covered my goblet with my hand, requesting water. I didn't need my head foggy with drink. But I ate my fill of the different courses, enjoying the roast chicken, steamed crab, fresh fruits, piles of baked vegetables, and additional bread that came with every course. Though there were many forks, spoons, and knives laid out next to my delicate porcelain plates, I ignored them all and stuck with one fork and knife for the entire meal, declining to hand them over to the servant who came to clear plates between courses, much to his chagrin. I was tempted to pocket several pieces of silverware, but decided not to risk it. Throughout the meal, I plotted options to escape the palace. I might never have been in direr straits, but I had been in rough situations before and had always made it out. But my brothers had been with me then. I pushed that thought aside. Maybe I could use one of the dreadfully uncomfortable hairpins Annabeth had used to pick the lock of my door. I was starting to feel I could handle the situation by the time desserts were brought to our table. I was full, but still managed to eat a chocolate mousse and raspberry tart while drinking some of the strong tea a servant poured into a delicate teacup. The cup was beautiful, but far too small for my liking, and I had the servant refill the cup twice more. As I was finishing my third cup of tea, Casper stood and cleared his throat. All voices in the great hall hushed as the future king made his second speech of the evening.
Noor's attempt at a con backfired big time. I always thought the King character in the original Rumpelstiltskin tale was a villain, forcing a defenseless girl to do an impossible task. But it feels like Prince Casper is just trying to protect his subjects. Now that the feast is over, Noor is going to have to figure out a way to do the impossible, or find a way out of the Rose Palace. Tune in to episode 3 of Goldspun to see what happens next. So don't forget to subscribe to CamCat Unwrapped. If you don't want to miss a beat, listen now on the audiobook platform of your choice. All our books are also available in print and ebook formats on camcatbooks.com or wherever books are sold. Before you go, please take a moment to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you! Also, check out our interviews with authors, editors, and other bookworms and our background episodes where we unwrap exclusive content relating to our books. Tune in again to CamCat Unwrapped, because CamCat Unwrapped is where book lovers meet.